0: The quality of the second half of our lives really depends on our ability to get into flow. And yet our ability to get into flow for a number of reasons diminishes over time. This is the engine that drives us forward. This is literally how we grow as humans. New levels of wisdom. All of this comes online in our 40s and our 50s. The reason I mentioned all this is I want people to understand how trainable flow is. when we're younger, we'll use risk as a flow trigger, right? It's dumb, it's dangerous, a really easy way to go to to the hospital. If you're trying to learn something really risky, especially when there's physical consequences involved, this is actually one of the very first kind of lessons about flow and peak performance I ever learned is, if you really wanna maximize neurogenesis and stave off cognitive decline, and this is the last thing I'll say that that I think Mm. is shocking is, what does it take to do the impossible? What does it take to level up your game like never before? What does it take for individuals organizations, for even institutions, to achieve paradigm shifting. Nothing is ever the same, again, breakthroughs. Our mission is to decode the neurobiology of flow and
1: cognitive peak performance. Access the minds of maverick scientists, groundbreaking innovators, and world leading experts to understand what it takes to achieve ultimate human performance. So you can feel your best, perform your best, and accomplish your boldest goals. I'm your host, Rian Doris,
0: and together with best-selling author Stephen Kotler, I present to you Flow
1: Research Collective Radio. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast, folks. I'm very excited about my uh, my guest today. I've had him on the Soul Talk podcast before. If you uh, have not or don't know of him, uh, we're going to put a link to his first interview in the show notes, so check that out. He's written, co-written one of my favorite books, uh, Bold and Abundance, which are amazing. If you haven't checked those out, definitely take a read. But uh, he has a new book. He's a New York Times bestselling author, award-winning journalist, the executive director of the Flow Research Collective, and uh, one of the world's leading experts on human performance has a new book, which I'm very excited to explore and delve into. Uh, let me see if I get the pronunciation right. Nah, Country. That's an unusual yep. title. Uh, the amazing Stephen Kotler. Welcome to Soul Talk. It is good to be back with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So listen, since you've been on before, I just want to just jump right in with you, man, and uh, and just explore and just pick your brain and your mind and uh, what inspired the book? What inspired NAR Country? NAR Country. Uh, um, and and what the hell does it mean for people that are wondering? <laughs> right. So uh, the
0: uh, let me answer them in b- backwards order, I think. Uh, the book's about peak performance aging. Okay. Um, Nar, uh, NAR Country, the title. So NAR is action sports slang. It's short for gnarly. And it, it's, uh-huh. it has a very specific meaning which is it's any environment that is high in perceived risk and high in actual risk. So Mm. as it turns out, and and country is any, you know, landscape or terrain, fictitious or real, in our country, you put them together, it's a fairly good description of our later years, high in perceived risk, high in actual risk. And it turns out, Mm. after you dig under the hood of peak performance aging, it's also a really good sort of description of the gritty mindset it takes to thrive in the second half of our life. So that's where mm-hmm. the title comes from, book awesome. about peak performance aging and what inspired it. So as you know, from our last podcast, uh, the center of my my world is the optimal state of consciousness and performance known as flow. And that's what we we studied the neurobiology of it, the flow research collective and, and train people uh, in, in peak performance this way. And as it turns out, uh, not surprising to anybody who who's done flow research, but probably maybe a little surprising on the outside, uh, flow goes right through not only peak performance, peak performance aging. Uh, mm-hmm. A short version would be that the quality of the second half of our lives really depends on you know on on our ability to get into flow, uh, and yet our ability to get into flow for a number of reasons diminishes over time. So that was one of the reasons, um, in a weird way, flow appears, and, and Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, the godfather of flow psychology, um, who who coined the term flow, he did. This is where he spent the bulk of his career is looking at flow as an engine, as a driver of adult development. Flow on the other side of flow states, learning increases in flow. The state shows up when we're using our sort of skills to the max, so so we're growing in flow. And uh, on the other side of flow states, we're more complex. more adaptable, wisdom increases, expertise increases flow is talked about as underpinning the path to mastery. Um and all these things uh become really, really important for peak performance aging, but more importantly, Chick Smit High argued, "This is this is the engine that drives us forward. This is literally how we grow as humans. So flow is intimately sort of woven through the topic of peak performance aging,
1: and so it was sort of a, a, just a natural extension of, of of the work I was doing." Mm. Can you just like uh, for those listening, like when you say flow, I think it might bring up different things for different people. Yeah, let me. I'm
0: sorry, I should yeah. define it. What, what, um, what does it mean? So. How do you Scientific, it? Scientifically, it's how I defined it earlier. It's an optimal state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best. More specifically, because that doesn't get us very far, the term refers to any of those moments of rapt attention and total absorption. We get so focused on the task at hand, so focused on what you're doing, everything else just starts to fade away and disappear. Your sense of self, mm-hmm. self-consciousness, the voice in your head, those will diminish Time is going to pass strangely. Occasionally, you get that freeze frame effect, maybe in a car crash. Much more frequently, you just get so sucked into what you're doing that five hours go by in what feels like five minutes. And throughout, all aspects of performance, both mental and physical, go through the roof. Mm. So that's, uh, that's what flow is. And flow is, uh, available to all of us, right? It's a built in feature of, of being human. It's how we do peak performance when you need to perform at your best flow is sort of the state that's available to all of us. Uh, mm. it, it becomes particularly important over time, um, for a bunch of different reasons that we can go into, but that, that's mm.
1: sort of flow in a nutshell. Mm, beautiful. Um, you know, you talked about uh, sort of increasing one's peak performance capacity, uh, optimizing it as one ages. Um, I think so many of us we have there's a sort of built-in belief that as you get older, your peak performance goes down. But you, you seem to be challenging that, and so yeah, it, well, it's not else, it's, I, yeah, it's I, not just it's not just me. So. Um, let me give
0: you the back. Let me give you the backstory. Let me talk a little yeah. about where the book came from and things like this. So, um, the place you have to start is with the traditional idea about aging, which is exactly what you just referenced. It's what I like to call the long slow rot theory. This uh-huh. is the idea that all of our mental skills and all of our physical skills they decline over time, and there's nothing we can do to stop the slide. Mm. That was the dominant thinking on aging for the past hundred years. Over the past twenty years. Almost all of that has been overturned wow. and not many people are aware of it. The new thinking, it's not that these skills don't decline over time. That's absolutely true. They do. It's that all of the skills we used to think declined over time. There's nothing we could do about it. We now know they're all user to lose it skills. So if you never stop training these skills, you can hang on to them. You can advance them far later in life than anybody thought possible. In addition, in addition, in our fifties, late forties, early fifties, there are substantial changes in how the brain processes information. There's some epigenetic changes. And as a result, we gain access to an actual legitimate suite of cognitive superpowers. Whole wow. new levels of intelligence open up, Whole new levels of creativity open up, empathy and wisdom. And wisdom is a definable neurobiological trait. It basically, shorthand for wisdom, empathy, emotional intelligence, compassion, social intelligence, all those things get filed under wisdom. Whereas expertise, which is the other side of that coin is thought of as facts and tactics and strategies. And that's, so that's sort of the difference, um, in a sense, but wisdom, mm-hmm. uh, uh, new levels of wisdom, all of this comes online in our forties and our fifties. So, um, take the classic old paradigm with this all, which is like an old dog can't learn new tricks, right? Yeah. Turns out that according to all this research, no, 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 old dogs should be better at learning than young dogs in certain situations. Mm-hmm. All of this work, including the work on flow, uh, all have been done in the lab. What I did is I said, okay, this is all true in the lab. And I've done some of this work. You know what I mean? Like my lab has helped produced a little bit of this work as well. But if these things are true, I should be able in my 50s, uh, I was 53 when I started the book, to be able to undertake and onboard really difficult, so-called impossible physical challenges made in my Mm -hmm. life. So what I did is I took all these ideas from a bunch of these whiz-bang fields about peak performance aging and about learning in the second half of our lives. And I put them together. I said, if these things are true, I should be able to learn how to park ski in my 50s. Uh Park skiing, as you know, right, Uh it's it's the discipline in skiing that involves doing tricks off jumps and on rails and wall rides and boxes is very intense, it's dangerous, it's very acrobatic, and for about 11 different biological reasons, it was considered totally impossible, like you try to learn it over, it's very difficult over 35, supposedly. Or by the time you get to 45, it's impossible. And by the time you get to 50, 53, when I started my quest, you're just considered downright crazy. Like there's no, wow. like nobody even thinks it's possible. And um, using all these new ideas and these no learning theories. Um, I, I, learned, I taught myself about a park ski um, very, very, very quickly, like ridiculously quickly, faster than I'd almost learned any how to do anything. And I started at zero and I'm not a particularly good athlete. And I'm in my 50, you know, and there was a lot of stuff working against me. And, but we took all this science and created a learning protocol and the results were astounding. More astounding was I had a ski partner who's younger than me. He Mm. was actually a former sponsored athlete, a park skier, and uh, but he had retired family, three kids, job, career, and he came back to it. He was using the same protocol I was using and he went farther, faster in a single season than he's gone. And like, it caught my attention because I've skied that he's been a good friend of mine for a long time. I've skied with him for about six years and I've never seen him make this much progress. Like he was, mm-hmm. it was nuts. And then we said, okay, this is cool, but it's maybe the most radical experiment in, in peak performance aging he's run, but it's <laughs> not yet data, right? We've like yeah. put two people through a study. So we came back the following season and took 17 older adults wow. um, ages 29 to 68 and okay. used the same protocol. Uh, and most of them, by the way, were like intermediate level skiers or snowboarders. When we, when we put them in and in four <clears> days on the mountain using the same protocol, all, all of them how to park ski and how park snowboard, which was when we started to realize we were looking at something very very real. That's the story. That's that was documented in our country, right? Is the story of these kind of experiments, and it's a you know the, the book is like I say it's like one third action and adventure story. One third peak performance aging
1: primer, one third radical science experiment. Wow. I'm curious, you mentioned like protocol a few times. Like what what what, what, so, okay. what, what was your protocol? Like, yeah, like what, okay. what did you do? It was exercise, you know, brain training, supplements, you know, like uh, Okay, like give a, us some secrets. Yeah,
0: all right. So this is this is thick, but let's um For this to make sense, I have to tell you a little bit more about flow, okay? A couple of things we need to know about flow. The first thing, when we talk about flow is underpinning peak performance. One of the things that gets massively amplified in flow is learning. And the the reason is twofold. The first reason is underneath flow neurobiologically, which is, right, the work I do on flow is where does it come from the brain or the body. One of the things that happens as we move into the state is Five of the most potent feel-good reward neurochemicals get released into our system. Mm. This flow is the only time all five show up at once. Quick shorthand. How does learning work in the brain? How does memory work in the brain? The more neurochemicals that show up during experience, better chance we have of moving that experience from short-term holding into long-term storage. Neurochemicals are multi-tools. They do lots of different things in the brain. One of the things they do is tag experiences. Very important state for later. Which is why, in studies run by neuroscientist Chris mm-hmm. Burka, at Advanced Brain Monitoring and in the U.S. Department of Defense, soldiers in flow learn 240 to 500 percent faster than normal. So, mm-hmm. in flow, you get this huge spike in learning. Okay, that's wow. backstory. Now, let me tell you something else about flow that you need to know. Flow states have what we call triggers conditions that lead to more flow, right? If you're interested in more flow in your life, these triggers are your toolkit. There are about 26 or seven that have been discovered. There's probably way more, but that's just what we've found. Um, they sound on the outside very, very different, but under the hood, what they all have in common is the following. Flow follows focus. The state only arises when all of our attention is the right here, right now on the task at hand. That's what the triggers do. They drive attention into the present. They turn it up. They amplify attention. And so two triggers that we have to talk about. One is what's known as the golden rule of flow. The most important of flows triggers the challenge skills balance. Flow follows focus. We pay the most attention to the task at hand, to what we're doing. When the challenge of that task slightly exceeds our skill set, you want to stretch, but not snap. Right. Wow. Now, if I were to put a number on the difference for most of us, it's about five percent difference. We're in this sweet spot when the challenge of what we're trying to do is about five percent greater than our mm-hmm. skills. Here's the first thing we need to know about peak performance aging and flow over time. When I said one of our one of the reasons our ability to access flow of flow is important for peak performance aging for a bunch of reasons that we haven't even talked about yet. Um, learning being a big one go more into it. One of the reasons our ability to get into flow over time diminishes is that because of allostatic load, which is a big fancy term that basically means the impact of stress over time on our psychology and our physiology, it shrinks this challenge skill sweet spot. So what's like 5% when our 20s and our 30s can shrink down to like 1% in our 40s and our 50s and our 60s. So if you're trying to get into flow, the way you traditionally went into flow, you're going to push too hard, produce too much anxiety in your system and end up blocking flow. So at the heart of the protocol that we used on the mountain, first thing was go slow to go fast. Go one inch at a time. Start with something you can do, a physical thing you can do automatically with zero conscious interference and no fear almost 100% of the time, and then build on it with one little new motion at a time and de- this isn't like deliberate practice we're not trying to like oh i'm gonna just add more this next day. deliberate play you want to be playful about it there are a bunch of reasons why but mm-hmm. i'm just sort of going through a little bit of the protocol so that's part one is we were going very slow we were starting with an established motor protocol so in skiing and snowboarding this week the second thing we did is we said hey we can break this, this very complicated skill set down into really basic movements. There's actually eight basic movements involved mm-hmm. in park park skiing and riding. There's a slash, a grind, a 180, a 360, a shifty, skiing backwards or snowboarding backwards, jumping, or a couple other things like that. We didn't, for myself, for other people, we didn't try to learn tricks. Right. We tried to onboard these new movement patterns as safely as possible. When, for example, we were working with yeah. uh, the, uh, the, outside, the the outside, the tests, we knew everybody knew how to hockey stop. Hockey stop is when you throw skis or snowboards sideways to stop. Mm-hmm. If you're a beginner, you learn how to <clears> hockey stop. But if I raise your hockey stop by 10 degrees and you do it on a slight raised snow berm, that's actually a grind or depending on how you put your hips, where you put your hips, a slash. So we knew everybody had a hockey stop and here was that one inch at a time, that first thing we could start them on. Now, -hmm. the next thing you need to know is that creativity, when we link ideas together cognitively, or when we link new motor patterns together physically. This is pattern recognition. The brain loves pattern recognition. pays a ton of attention to it. It drives focus. Whenever patterns connect in the brain, it releases dopamine. Dopamine is a pleasure drug. One of the drugs that shows up in flow, but it's also a focusing chemical. It's like when it's in our system, we're focused and excited in the thing in front of us. So here's the other thing we did. The goal wasn't let's teach these people how to learn tricks for me. Let's learn tricks. It was, let's learn these new movement patterns because they allow me to creatively interpret the terrain. If I mm. stack like one or two or three creative terrain interpretations on a row, that is probably enough to drop me into flow. Once I'm mm. in flow, performance goes through the roof. Strength increases, stamina increases, fast switch muscle response increases, pattern recognition, all this stuff I need for athletic boards. Once I'm in flow, that's when you start playing around with the tricks and it does the work for you. So that was mm. sort of it was a go slow to go fast. We did a couple other things differently, but at the core was these simple ideas. Um, but they totally take advantage of our neurobiology um, and they they sort of make room for uh, for older adults in new ways. And, and the results are really spectacular. So that's mm. part of the protocol. There was a lot. Obviously, yeah. you don't go. Let me, the other thing I just want to say can, is.
1: Can I just ask more, yeah, please, one, please, one piece please, of please. clarification before you go on? Because it's fascinating. Yeah. So, so you're stacking, going slow to, to, to go fast, uh, breaking things up. So, so, so just to clarify, like slow, it, it's not like, uh, I'm not hearing that. It's some state, you, you magical state you go into in the very beginning like before you even start you kind of access this flow state then you go and perform uh, you see, but you 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 know because yes, flow comes in so illusible. mystical and yeah and it, is, so it is yeah, so yeah so here's here's
0: the thing that's worth understanding at the flow research collective we work with neuro, we we use neurobiology right and the reason neurobiology matters so much is that Psychology is very individual, right? Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's shaped by personality, nature, nurture. So like the psychological triggers for flow are very different for each of us, but at a neurobiological level, right? Dopamine, right? We just right. talked about it. the right. same things create dopamine, right? Once you get down to the neurobiology, that's shared by everyone. We train people at the collective in 130 countries, right? We're the largest sci- neuroscience-based peak performance training company in the world. Train people in 130 countries, Tens of thousands of people a month. We work with everybody from kind of ordinary, you know, everyday citizens mm-hmm. to pro athletes, members of the U.S. Special Forces. We work with companies, Facebook, Accenture, Audi, the U.S. Air Force, the San Francisco Police Department, on and on and on. Um, the reason I mentioned all this is I want people to understand how trainable flow is. between all these people. We measure everything, right? pre and post. On average, after like an eight-week training, and our trainings are intense, you go through it with a PhD psychologist or neuroscientist as a coach, there's a lot of work, this is not easy, mm. but we see on average a 70 to 80% boost in flow on the other side of our trainings. This wow. is a very trainable skill, is my point, that's really worth sort of hammering home, is we see this again and again and again, it's a very trainable skill once you sort of understand what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's really key, right? Where all humans are hardwired for peak performance and it's a very trainable skill. Um, so critical, critical things. And yes. So what I always say is if you're trying to onboard something risky, right? If you're trying to learn something really risky, especially when there's physical consequences involved, I learned this. This was actually one of the very first kind of lessons about flow and peak performance I ever learned is, you don't try so risk is a flow trigger when we take risks, the brain produces dopamine. This is physical risk, emotional risk, social risk, intellectual risk. Um, all risk is a flow trigger mm. when, especially with action sport athletes, and, or, or in general, when we're younger, we'll use risk as a flow trigger, right? It's dumb, it's dangerous. A really yeah, easy way to go to, to the say. hospital, right? <laughs> go, why would you? This was so that why would you like. You know, you do something dumb and dangerous if you're not performing at your best. So people who are better at this learn that things like uh, novelty, complexity, unpredictability, and pattern recognition are all flow Mm -hmm. triggers as well. So Mm -hmm. for example, I'm on the ski mountain and I know I want to go into the terrain park and learn some tricks. I'll start out early on by take me to a novel part of the mountain. Let me go see Uh something I've not seen before Mm because novelty starts producing a little bit of dopamine. And then, oh, look, there are little side hits, right? Side hits are the, you know, the the sides of the hill. Usually there's little ramps there. So start using those ramps, not to throw big tricks, but just to creatively interpret terrain features. Oh, look, that ramp looks like it's perfectly set up a 180, right? That's pattern recognition that I do a handful of that stuff. And then, okay, now I'm starting to move into flow. Now I go into the train park and try to learn that cork 540 or what, or whatever the much harder trick. We have a much better chance of success. in when we're in flow, um, in general anyways. Uh, And uh, so that's part of the protocol. You know, when you asked about a part of the protocol, that's another thing we would do. There's a thing with you. We used to see a lot of athletes do this, especially action sport athletes. They'll start off really, especially when you're younger. You start off with like the "Take me to the double black diamond." Let me let us hit the cliff right out of the gate, and it's usually that they're 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 trying to drop themselves into flow. It tends to backfire as a general yeah, rule, right? Sure. It doesn't make sense. We had a very specific me and my ski partner four run warm up oh, that we God. used that to, before we would ever consider like doing anything dangerous. So there's yeah. a, we've already been on four runs about an hour. So we're like on the mountain for at least an hour um, mm-hmm. before things are really ramping up or anything else like that for this very reason.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. So you're saying if everyone follows those flow triggers, the novelty and these things that you're saying, like, in the nervous system like physiologically they will start to move into flow so you have to know a couple one other thing
0: okay here's the other here's the other half <laughs> flow triggers you also have to know about the flow cycle which is a map mm-hmm. of the process right the triggers are your toolkit but you have to know flow is not a binary you're not in the zone or out of your out of the zone flow is a four stage cycle struggle is the first phase This is a loading phase. You're loading the brain with information. This is a very conscious phase. Flow is very unconscious. This is very conscious. Thinking about what you're doing and it feels frustrating. And actually the more frustrated you get, actually the better. Second is a release phase. We can talk about why, but second is a release phase where you take your mind off the problem. Struggle, you're really thinking about it. Release, you want to take your mind off the problem. This is low-grade physical activity tends to work best. This could be gardening. This could be going for a long walk in nature. Yeah. This could be um, uh, building model airplanes or something that just engages body a little bit. I, I When we were on the ski mountain and we wanted a release phase, like let's say I've been struggling in the train park, we would, there was, again, we'd use novel, we just go explore. Okay, let's go ski something not very radical, but it's in a new mm. part of the mountain that we've not seen before. So yeah. like that would be release. Third stage is flow. Flow is an energetically state, energetically expensive state to produce. So on the back end of that, there's a recovery phase. So you have to know where you are in the cycle. This is really the work that we do at the Flow Research Collective, right? Where are you in the cycle? And what triggers are, are your best friend, depending on where you are? Or if you're on the back end of a flow state, what's the best way to recover and prepare for the next struggle phase. Right. So there's a, there's, there's a
1: lot there. I'll I'll just pause and sort of unpack it. Yeah, there's a, there's, there's a lot there. And and there's a whole bunch a whole whole tree of questions that have uh, arisen. What I do want to ask is. um, Before I ask about something about this, this, this cycle. um, For someone listening and they might be going, but. Stephen, I have no interest in skiing. I don't want us to learn to ski. Um, it's not an interest. So, how can they? And they might just say, I just want to be in flow in my life, just yeah, in life. So, okay. So, how I, can have, they, how can they? We have yeah, access? we've been talking
0: about, we've been talking about skiing, which is why I've been giving you ski examples because it's from our country. Let's be really clear. Um, flow is available there. Anyone, anywhere, provided certain initial conditions are met. We don't train up companies like Facebook and Accenture and Audi and Bain Capital because they want (laughs) flow while skiing. We train them because they want flow at work. And you want flow at work. So, McKinsey, the business consultancy, did a 10 year study of top executives. They found on average, top executives are 500% more productive in flow than out of flow. That's a Step function or the change in productivity. Um, so flow at work is a is a huge topic, and that's the bulk of the work we do at the Flow Research Collective. Is we is we train companies, or we train CEOs or C-suite executives um, in in flow. So that's that's at the heart of the work we do. That's where most people want flow. Um, action sports are packed with flow triggers. Yeah. So. Um, that's useful, but it doesn't. So let's just talk about, we've been talking about three different flow triggers or four different flow triggers. Let's put them in a work context. Let's take them mm-hmm. on to skiing. So we talked about the challenge skills balance. We talked about novelty. We talked about risk yeah. and um, we talked about creativity. So let me, uh, let me just give you a triple example, of a couple of those. So I, My job, you know, as you can see from behind me, requires me to read a lot of neuroscience textbooks. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, they're thrilling. They're page turners. I just can't (laughs) put them down. So, and and obviously retention really matters. So I want to read them in flow because learning gets jacked up 240 to 500%, right? So you want to learn and you want to do that in flow. So when what I do is I wait till I have like two or three of those textbooks that I really need to read. And I... Well, then usually I like to rent a, get a hotel room with a balcony overlooking a really beautiful natural scene. Mm. And um, I will go there. And so reading is actually a very flowy activity. And one of the reasons is, especially if you're reading something that where you have a little bit of knowledge, you get pattern recognition, you connect ideas together. Oh, this new thing I learned connects to this old thing. So that's going to happen automatically if I'm reading a neuroscience textbook provided I'm interested enough, I can pay enough attention. So the novel environment, I go and I sit on the porch, took complete concentration as a flow trigger as well. So I'll sit on this porch. No, I'm in a a foreign city. So nobody, like nobody I know is around, Mm. right? I can't be interrupted. Turn my phone off. Um, So I've got complete concentration. I've manicured the environment. Now I've got the novelty of what I'm looking at. And Mm. usually, uh, like if you're looking at mountains or stars or that sort of stuff, you'll get some complexity as well. So I've got... These things are are, are priming my system for flow. And then I start reading and get a little bit of pattern recognition and the combination drops me into flow. And I can usually get a tremendous amount done in like uh, in in 24 hours or 48 hours kind of thing. Um, So I find that's a really simple example of, of of something work wise. Uh, We talked a lot about the challenge skills balance, right? This applies to anything. This applies to how you approach, your work tasks, how you approach anything, right? You want to push on your skills. You want to stretch, but not snap. Now, let me, let me put a little more information around this. Um, For underachievers, shy, meek people who have, you know, or, or older adults, right. Uh, so you get to think about it. If you want to think about the challenge skills sweet spot emotionally, it's like in between boredom and anxiety. Boredom is mm. there's not enough stimulation here. I'm not paying any attention. And anxiety, whoa, way too much, right? In between is the flow channel, this sweet spot. So um for people who are shy makers, I said, or you know, or older, you want to go slow right you want it because uh 5% is a little tricky or 1% wherever it is either a you're just outside your comfort zone so you got to let it get comfortable with being uncomfortable or remember when i said our country of describes the greedy mindset needed yes. to thrive in our later years
2: Pardon the interruption and thanks for tuning into Flow Research Collective Radio If you're listening to this here's a bold bet I'm willing to make about you My guess is, even though you're a high performer, you're still only performing at about half of your capacity, maybe even 10%. Now, even if I'm wrong, assuming that you're performing at less than your full potential opens up the possibility for you to improve. And that's good news. When you've already outperformed most of your peers by a long shot, you've got a skill stack that people envy, that's why you earn what you earn, and yet you're just warming up. You know those days when you knock out more in your morning than most do in an entire day? Well, what if you could perform at that level every day, reliably? Consistently, what would that unlock for you? Now here at the Flow Research Collective, we study the human nervous system when it's functioning at its absolute best. After training thousands of high performers from Navy SEALs to Fortune 100 executives, here's what we found. You're evolutionary hardwired to perform at your best. All it takes is pressing the right mental buttons and pulling the right biological levers, so to speak. It's about getting your neurobiology to work for you instead of against you. Now, if you wanna make operating at a 10 out of 10 level as natural as breathing, just go to getmoreflow.com. We'll show you how to reliably trigger a flow state where you feel limitless and you do your very best work. This won't require any biohacking or nootropics or gadgets or caffeine guzzling. This higher gear is endogenous, which means it's a state that your brain produces on its own. No external stimulus is required. Just go to getmoreflow.com to learn how to get your biology working for you instead of against you, so you can make peak performance second nature. All the best.
0: One of the reasons is this. You got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Now, here's the flip side, and this is especially important as we age. Well, performers, heart chargers, type A types, they will take on tasks that are so much bigger, so much Mm -hmm. outside the challenge skills sweet spot because that's just how they're wired. And I said that the difference is about 5%, right? We pay the most attention to the task when the challenge is about 5% greater than our skill set. But a lot of type A types, they'll take on challenges that are 30, 40, 50% greater just because it keeps them awake. Now, a couple things to know here those big challenges are really important. They're actually for, for motivation, just by setting a high-hard goal, we get about a 20, 25% boost in motivation. It's actually 11 to 25%. Mm. Um, so you need that. But what you want to do is chunk it down. So the thing that's in front of you, and this could be, I'm learning a new ski trick, or this could be, I'm writing, you know, a report for work. It doesn't matter. You want to chunk it down. So the challenge in front of you is uh, just outside, right? Four or 5%. So let me, uh, I'll give you another, I'll give you another example of this from my own life as a writer. So I, when I start a book, I try to write 500 words a day. 350 wow. is about what I can write in my sleep, um, pretty much. But to get to 500 in the way I can write, you usually I have to transition between ideas. When you transition from one idea to the next as a writer, that's just about the hardest thing you have to do as a writer. So 500 words uh, at the start of a book is challenging. I'm stretching, but mm-hmm. not snapping, right? Mm-hmm. Middle of the book, I know a little bit more of where I'm going. What I'm doing is about 700, 800 words. End of a book, it's about 1,000. The mm-hmm. two points here I want to make is this is a moving target. It's going to change depending on like where you are. It's also going to change. If I, you know, you wake up tired or sick or you got in a fight with your spouse or your brother or any of those things, right. It's going to shrink that sweet spot. So this changes day to day, moment to moment, but you just have to know that like over time because of allostatic load, it can shrink even further. Mm. So, um, a whole bunch of information a whole Mm. bunch i'll shut up now and see where you want to go wow
1: it's a lot i mean really it's a it's a a lot i'm curious about you talked about being in the flow state taking energy yeah um i you know my understanding was being in the flow state took less energy but you're saying it takes more energy and can you explain why and a bit about that is it possible to be in flow and like be effortless. So, so you are right and r- wrong in a sense. So
0: here's here's so when we are in flow, flow is often described as effortless energy. So where mm-hmm. does the term flow come from? Because when Chick sent me high, the godfather of flow psychology went around the world doing some of the initial research on this, who talked to people and be like, Tell me about the times in your life when you felt your best and performed your best. That was the original research. And everybody said the same thing. Oh, when I'm at my best, I'm in this altered state of consciousness where everything, every decision, every action flows seamlessly, perfectly effortlessly from the last, right? Flow is actually a phenomenal a lot of description of the state, makes describes how the state makes us feel and under it, it talks about um effortless effort, right? And that's uh that's a it's a Taoist term originally, effortless effort. Um, but it has very much been absorbed by the flow world because that's how it feels mm-hmm. now. It is also important to point out that like one of the reasons it feels this way is uh, pattern recognition, our ability to link ideas together is turned way up in flow. The second thing is on a physical discomfort thing, in flow, some of the neurochemicals that show up, we get anandamide and we get endorphins. Both of those are very potent painkillers, usually mm. potent painkillers. Endorphins, there are about 20 different endorphins uh, in the body, the most pot- uh the most common not the most potent, the most common is a hundred times more potent than medical morphine. Endorphins are wow. internal opiates, wow. by the way, they're inter- wow. they bond to the same thing. So re- these are really potent painkillers. Um, uh, in fact, one of the things that you have to do as an athlete, um, it just in flow is you have to learn. It's always dangerous to try to perform on exhaust, especially the action sports. Right. But if you're getting into flow regularly, you've got to need. So when I ski, I know if I'm under jumping my, my jumps, or if my turns are sliding a little bit, it's a sign that I'm exhausted. I might not actually know I'm exhausted because I'm in flow and I've got all this painkiller, right, flowing through my system. Uh, So I'm not as aware of it. And if I don't want to get hurt, right, that really sort of matters here. Mm. But energetically, Flow is very high energy. The other thing is that some of the neurochemicals, so for example, dopamine and norepinephrine, two of the chemicals that show up in flow, we get dopamine at peak concentrations. We don't get norepinephrine, but either way, they have a shelf life in the brain at maximum uh, capacity of about 20 minutes. So mm. why are TED Talks 20 minutes long? It's uh-huh. because dopamine and norepinephrine, which are your two principal focusing, I'm focused and excited and listening to you and really into what you. are they peak for 20 minutes Wow! and right. And then they start to diminish and serotonin shows up and flow it also. And to rebuild some of these things, for example, serotonin, it's not just, uh, you need sleep, you need rest, but you also need, uh, for serotonin sunlight, certain B vitamins, Mm tryptophan. So see, so there's stuff we need to build back our neurochemical supply of some of these Mm -hmm. stuff. So on the back end of a flow state, um, There's a recovery phase, as I said. And most important about this recovery phase, flow, we talked about, huge impact on learning. That's not entirely true. To really close for that to happen, you also have to sleep. Seven, eight hours of deep delta wave sleep. If you don't get deep delta wave sleep at a full night's sleep after you learn something, the brain can't transfer it from short-term holding into long-term storage. So you'll learn Mm -hmm. it and then you'll forget it. So- Part of a high flow lifestyle uh, demands getting seven, eight hours of sleep wow. at night. That's sort of for peak performance. We call it one. It's one of the non-negotiables mm. for peak performance. And this becomes um, more important over time, right? Mm. For prioritizing sleep uh, becomes more important uh, in the second half of our life
1: as well. Really, really sort of foundational peak performance and peak performance aging. Mm. Are there any other things in this recovery uh, phase? This is this recovery yeah. thing is something I think I I get to work on a bit because I, I I'm often like very intensely focused and then sometimes yeah, I, so, I take so time recovery I, but sometimes I, I'm I, I like, have to oh, tell you it's, it's funny at, at the flow
0: research collective um this is one of the things we learned uh though we learned the the hard way over time uh, mm-hmm. when we used to start training people at the collective we would just start them off with flow training right off the bat and um. We started to figure out that people are so burned out, so exhausted from life in the modern world that we can't. We actually have to start with sort of getting your nervous system in check and teaching you how to recover. So um, there's two sides to this. One, there's um, really there's the problem is this. There's Passive recovery, which is what most of us do, right? We work a hard day, we come home, and we have some version of like TV and a beer or Netflix and a cocktail or that sort of stuff. And that's our chill out. That's this globally, right? That's the standard let's we're in a we're in a Muslim country. That's the standard chill out at the end of work methodology. And, and two problems here. One, um, it just doesn't work. So TV and a beer really doesn't work for two reasons. Mm-hmm. To recover, your brain has to be, it has to be an alpha state uh, or deeper. So TV puts us in like a, so alpha is a brain wave. It's like daydreaming mode, it's rest, it's relaxed. Um, when we're awake, when we're alert, the brain is in beta, it's a faster moving wave. When we're anxious, we're in high beta, it's a very fast moving wave. So here's something people don't know about TV. TV produces this feeling of, oh, I'm just chilling. But oh. every time there's a quick cut, every time in all of modern television, all of movies, it's all these quick cuts from thing to thing to thing. So your brain, we evolved on the Savannah, right? Whenever we see a quick cut or fast motion, your brain goes, oh shit, is that a predator? You don't mm. notice. Consciously, you don't notice. Mm. Unconsciously, your brain is going, it's in chilling out, chilling out, chilling out and jumping up to high beta. Every time there's this quick cut, it doesn't relax you. At an Mm -hmm. internal recovery way, it's fake recovery. And alcohol, once you have more than two drinks, and and if you're skinny, it could be under this, but for most of us, it's about two drinks, it blocks REM sleep. It screws Mm. up REM sleep, it screws up delta wave sleep. So again, it it screws up your sleep. So alcohol, and I'm not, by the way, I am not a teetotaler. I'm a fan of alcohol. I mm-hmm. like bourbon. I like tequila. I like mezcal. I'm just telling you from a peak performance perspective, it's a bad recovery tool, and it's not. Instead, what's a, what are good recovery tools? Active recovery tools: Epsom salt baths, saunas, meditation, mindfulness, breath work, a long walk in nature is a really good recovery tool. If you want to take the next step up, you know, pal- reco- restorative yoga. Um, foam rolling, massage, these are all active recovery tools and um, really, uh, really critical to sort of reboot the flow cycle. Think about it just this this way. So I said earlier that flow sits on this, this sweet spot between anxiety and boredom, right? Too much anxiety, too much cortisol, too much norepinephrine um, blocks flow and really rough on your system, right? Really like bad for you over time. So um, what we're trying to do in recovery is also like reset
1: the nervous system as well. Mm. Um, Are there any like uh, uh, specific things you talked about alcohol? Is there anything else that might be specific that people can sort of like literally immediately implement things that they should, you would say, avoid these things if you really want to Access flow, live-in flow, or optimize peak performance. Like avoid alcohol, avoid you know TV. Are there any specific? Obviously, it's life. We're human beings, but is there anything you would say stay away from? For peak performance in peak performance
0: in peak performance aging. This is this is even more important. I don't. So I'm not a big fan of do's and don'ts. Okay, but what I will say is this: um, your your phone. Mm. Is a flow blocker. It right, is. Right. Um, and from a peak performance aging perspective, it's a disaster. Like it's bad when we're young or as we get older, it's a freaking disaster. Social media as well. And so what I try to tell people with social media is the only good use of social media is either like staying in contact with long lost friends and relatives, right? The communication aspect of it and as a way to be creative. Creativity, um, especially for peak performance aging, creativity is built in, it's really required. And uh, for flow, another flow trigger is immediate feedback. Mm. Right. This is another reason action sports are so great. You get immediate mm. feedback, right? You either set mm. the ski edge on top of the coir or you're on a, like a face for a desk slide to the bottom, mm. right, in tennis. You hit the ball, it either goes in or goes out. That's immediate feedback. So, Immediate feedback is great for flow. Just by the way, to put this in a work context, this is, so anybody who works in software, the agile movement in software is about the same thing. The agile movement in software is um, was a movement, it was a product development idea, which was So that used to be email, right? Old email program. You go back to the nineties, you buy a new email program. It was like 200 features. It was super Mm -hmm. clunky and Mm -hmm. thick and did everything. And then Gmail comes along and they're like, no, no, no. We've got an agile process. We're going to introduce it with four features. And then we're going to do these fast development. loops. We're going to put it out with four features. We're going to talk to our customers, figure out exactly what they Mm like, didn't like what else they want. And then we're going to build 2.0 and 3.0. And right. So that's fast feedback. It Mm -hmm. gives Agile was introduced on the consumer side because it gives you faster development cycles Mm. on the developer side. It gives you immediate feedback and flow follows focus. And when feedback is immediate, you don't have to wonder how you're doing. You know, you've got the answer right there. Somebody gave it to you or the right. So what I say with social media, the only time social media is useful is for feedback from creativity. So it's a great place to sort of like do that and stay in touch Doing it for any other reason is sort of a disaster. So I, there aren't really do's and don'ts. Everybody's really individual. You know, alcohol for blocking recovery for like, I think it's got its place um, at like everything else. Um, abusing it can be problematic for flow over time. Mm. Abusing is a, is a yeah. you know, what, different, what, difficult word. I don't there, know why, but I don't even know if I could put it. What does that mean? I don't know.
1: Were there any... um like in your peak performance uh, for aging research and, and your own experimentation, was there anything that you did or you came across that surprised you? Like, oh, yeah. oh I so, didn't expect this was so let me, anything let, to do with.
0: Yeah. So let me, let me give you peak performance aging in a single sentence. Yes. Now, a lot of the things in the sentence do double duty as flow triggers. So we've been talking about flow is critical for peak performance aging. I can really talk about why if you want, but Peak performance aging, if you want to rock to you drop, you want to regularly engage in challenging social and creative activities that Mm -hmm. demand dynamic, deliberate play and take place in novel outdoor environments. Um, That is literally the secret to peak performance aging. You asked about something surprising. Did you see any supplements or biohacking or any of the things you thought that peak performance aging would come down to in that sentence? Peak performance aging has these huge psychological interventions. That's what we know. That's what shocked me. What shocked me is I'm not new to the idea of a mind-body connection. This is at the heart of my field. I've been there for 30 years. Mm -hmm. But when you actually start peeling back the hood on peak performance aging and looking at like the mind-body connection here, it's shockingly potent. Let me just give you a couple of examples. So one, aging is sort of a fact of life. Old- It's a mindset and that Mm -hmm. mindset can show up as early as like age 20, 25, depending on how we live our lives. The minute the voice in your head starts saying things like you're too old for this shit. Chances are you've started to develop the mindset old. There's a bunch of biology Mm -hmm. and why it happens Mm -hmm. and where it comes from, but it's dangerous. And what do I mean by that? So we know 50 years of data tells us this. It's one of the most well-established facts that a positive mindset towards aging. Meaning I think the day's ahead of me and mind you the day you could be 22 and Uh saying, I think the days ahead of me, right? Like this is, there's no age bracket here. This is just right. Mm. I think the day is ahead of me. I think the second half of my life is filled with thrilling possibilities. I think my best days are ahead of me. It's Mm. a positive mindset towards aging. Mm. People often want to say peak performance aging, where do I start? Start by fixing your damn mindset. Why? It translates Mm. to an extra seven and a half years of healthy longevity. Wow. Seven and a half years. Wow. So you could be morbidly obese and have a shitty mindset towards aging. If you want to live longer, better to change your mindset than it is to lose weight. Another one of those is the power of social contact. Wow. So maintaining strong social relationships, it's critical for peak performance at any age for a lot of different reasons. It keeps our mm-hmm. it keeps our nervous system very healthy, basically. But as we age, it really matters. Um, and this is another one of those things, you seven to eight years of healthy life extension if we have complex and robust uh, interpersonal social relationships. So like the first thing that was shocking to me was how tight was the mind body connection. Mm. The second thing um, I think that was so well, the second thing that was so shocking to me is um. The use it or lose it stuff that we talked about at the top of the hour. So, um, you know, I, you, we all strength declines over time, stamina decline, all these things. We grew up in the world I grew up in, all these things declined over time. So, like, you know, let's let's take a really let's take a physical example, and then take a cognitive example. It's wild. So, on the physical side, let's take VO2 max, which is upper aerobic threshold, right? Hmm. And this was one of these things that, like, this was a hammer that the uh, cynics used to beat the longevity uh, science and the peak performance aging people with, because everybody knows bo 2 max starts to decline when we're 25 and it really starts to fall off a cliff at 50 and you're screwed by the end of your life. Uh. This was standard thinking, we knew it, blah, blah. And then this weird thing started happening where in ultra marathoning and in like these really long races, they started to see 70 and 80 year olds were beating 50 and 60 year olds. And this didn't make any sense to anybody and they were doing it consistently. So then this researchers came along and said, okay, well, let's look at the VO two max of like, triathletes in their eighties, octogenarian triathletes, right? Nobody would ever looked before. People who had been like running and these weren't lifetime runners, but they had been running for usually since their fifties, running Ooh. swimming since their fifties. So they had about three decades of it. And they realized they had the health, the VO2 max of a healthy 35 year old. Wow. So the old idea, it falls off a cliff. It does fall off a cliff. Starting at 25, it diminishes and by 50. It does fall off a cliff. But if you keep training it, Right By using regular burst of high-intensity training, that's how you train VO2 max, um, you can basically into your late 80s have the health of VO2 max of a healthy 35-year-old. So the uh, same thing with cognitive decline. And um, this is another reason flow matters so much for cognitive decline. It's interesting. So um, in studies, they'll find they, they can like you know, they'll test cognitive function a lot of people who have, you know, they'll be scoring off the charts in their 80s and 90s and their hundreds in cognitive function, and um, they show no cognitive decline, no dementia, no Alzheimer's, and they'll die in the autopsy of their brain. And they'll realize their brain is filled with Alzheimer's and dementia. They've got all these tangles and plaques, yet they had none of the symptoms. And even when tested on batteries of test, right? So, what is going on? And it turns out, um, This whole sentence I I gave you is is the best way to to do this, but Mm. expertise and wisdom are neuroprotective against cognitive decline. And so you, exactly, you asked like, what's shocking? So turns Mm. out most cognitive decline, dementia, Alzheimer's, it's the prefrontal cortex, part of your brain that's right behind your forehead. This Mm. is the part of the brain, it's the newest part of the brain from an evolutionary perspective, it's the most susceptible to damage. And so if you want to offset that damage, you have to build up what's known as a cognitive reserve. This is expertise and wisdom. And why is this? When we learn either hard skills or soft skills, right? Expertise is facts and skills and tactics and strategies and wisdom is the emotional intelligence and the empathy and all that stuff. Both of them form incredibly diffuse, robust, and redundant networks across the prefrontal cortex. It's redundancy is built in. so The more skills we add, right? And the interesting thing, and this is the last thing I'll say that, that I think mm. is shocking is uh, peak performance aging starts young. So when it comes to mm. like, when you talk to all the experts, interventions at any age matter. But when you talk to the experts who kind of made these discoveries about expertise and wisdom, they all say the same thing. Start early. Like, yeah. and you know what I mean? Start and skills and wisdom as early mm. on in your life. Mm. Um, mm. In fact, there's a, there's this crazy study, Yakov Stern, who's at Columbia, Leisure activities huh. impact cognitive reserve, right? And it's cumulative. So he did this crazy study where he found that older adults for every additional lead, and he was talking about like socializing with friends, doing doing some kind of intellectual puzzle solving. There were like mm. three or four categories like that. Nothing really fancy. You gain an additional eight percent of cognitive reserve. So wow. every reading, eight percent, doing crossword puzzles, another eight percent, learning to ski, learning to sing, learning to dance. And so it's cute and it builds on each other. And so obviously how you start, uh, you know, onboarding stuff in your twenties and your thirties and your forties and fifties really matters to how, how deep and robust these are. This is why flow. One of the reasons flow is so important to peak performance aging flow automatically advances wisdom and expertise and mastery. So um, when we're in flow, learning is is is, is just, all these things are happening. So, in a sense, one of the ways you sort of know you've you, you've done enough to sort of preserve your brain over time, you can sort of. It's hard to measure expertise and wisdom, but you can track how many flow states you're getting into. Mm-hmm. So,
1: um, that's a that's we, we sort of come for full circle. Full circle. Um, can you just uh, repeat the the mm-hmm. sentence about? performance agent. Yeah, and let me it just I just me, want you to just like define that because it was so Yeah, such let, a me, let me break it, let me break it down for you.
0: Okay. So, and it's there's three parts to this sentence, and I'll just take it in parts. To rock to we drop, you want to regularly engage in challenging creative and social activities. So we talked about challenging. This is the challenge skills sweet spot, right? Like this is about getting into flow. Creative um is also a flow trigger, but it turns out that when we think creatively, um, I mentioned earlier, when we were in our fifties, we get these new cognitive superpowers. Creative thinking is what unlocks them. So we don't get, access isn't guaranteed. We have to use creativity to sort of gain access to them. And then social, we talked about the importance of that, right? And so that's challenging creative and social. Dynamic, deliberate play is the second part. Dynamic is, I talked about all the physical skills, the use it or lose it skills. Well, there's actually five categories, strength, stamina, flexibility, agility, and balance. Dynamic is any activity that's all five at once. Mm. Bonus, when we engage in dynamic activities, besides we're training up all the loser to the lose user skills, dynamic activities, when we have to combine like strength and coordination in the same skill, it boosts uh, the birth of new neurons in the brain. So, if you want to protect against Alzheimer's, dementia, cognitive decline, you want new neurons. Coordination activities are particularly good at forcing the brain to birth new neurons. So, dynamic, mm. deliberate play is deliberate practice is the, you know, repetition with incremental advancement. Deliberate play is repetition without repetition. And it turns out deliberate play is great for developing expertise, but in limited sort of skills, like if you're trying to become a, a great concert violinist, deliberate, there's some deliberate play that matters or mathematicians, there's areas of all skill acquisition where deliberate play matters, but really deliberate pra- play outperforms deliberate practice. Mm. Um, I inverted that. Deliberate practice is better for like, Learn how to play the violin, but for most of us, in most circumstances, we just get farther faster with deliberate play. There's less shame, there's less self-consciousness, there's more space, and there's a whole bunch of reasons. So uh, dynamic, deliberate play, and then novel outdoor environments. We talked about novelty, it's a flow trigger. Outdoor environments are important for a couple of reasons. Um, one, oh, when we are in nature, It lowers stress levels and their stress and inflammation is one of the major causes of aging. So anything that lowers stress levels is really important. Plus, if you want neurogenesis, the birth of new neurons, right? Most of that in the adult brain takes place in the hippocampus. Hippocampus is a part of the brain that does long-term memory, but it also does location. Place cells, grid cells, these are all in the hippocampus. Why? Because it's really important, right? Whenever something, whenever we get a reward, oh, where they were here, we found a ripe fruit tree, right? For hunter gatherers, we found a ripe fruit tree. The brain wants to know where are we? This is critical to survival the hippocampus locks that in. So peak performance is all about use, getting our biology to work for us rather than against us. Mm-hmm. Peak performance aging is the same thing, just applied to the challenges of aging. And here's a great example. If you really want to maximize neurogenesis and stave off cognitive decline, have emotionally charged experiences in novel outdoor environments. Um, that is That is using the brain the way it's been designed to use. So what do you end up with? More new neurons, more mm-hmm. new neural networks. Much greater protection against cognitive decline. So that's that whole sentence. Beautiful. You know, but the one thing I want to end on, because this is you asked for surprising things and this ties it up in a bundle. Don't sleep on the physical stuff. The reason is this: the single most important correlate for peak performance aging for longevity is actually leg strength. Thy yes. muscle, thigh muscle mass inversely correlates with mortality. There's a bunch of different reasons. Actually, and if you want to preserve cognitive function, uh, leg strength also matters, usually important. Some of it has to do with bone density. Um, Our bones, we don't, most people don't think about it this way, but our brains run on minerals calcium, Mm -hmm. sodium, potassium. Where do you think they're stored? The bones are the mineral storehouse for the body and the brain. And actually, when we break bones apart, um, that's one of the only things that can cause blood brain barrier for this reason. Where are the largest bones in the human body? The legs. So if you want to preserve cognitive function, one of the things you want to do is preserve bone density
1: in your legs and go on and on and on. But mm. Um, mm. Wow, Stephen. Uh, I feel like you've given us a little mini masterclass code to peak performance aging. Um, I really appreciate you've packed so much into this conversation in a short period of time. Um, and I'm super inspired. One thing I'm taking away, I hope everyone is, is also taking lots of notes. Aging is a fact, but old is a mindset. And I'm hoping that this conversation has inspired everyone listening in to shift your mindset around aging, to see the possibilities for peak performance as you age. Um, what's the best way people can find out about you, your work? Obviously, your book, Now Country. I'm excited to dive into it myself, so I'll be getting it. I want to encourage everyone, get the book. Uh,
0: yeah, the book's awesome. So, book narcountry.com. So, this is okay. how it's spelled. And the cool thing is, um, we were running a pre-sale campaign. The book's out. Um, we've decided to extend it a little while longer. You can get $1,750 worth of free peak performance training tools. Wow. Uh, if you order, you can get in our country anywhere, right? Any bookstore. But if you go to narcountry.com and order through us, there's a bunch of free stuff that uh, we're still, still giving available. It away. Still yeah, available. it's still available. We're going to keep okay. it. We're going to keep it. People loved it. And, okay. um, they just, and and we got such positive feedback on it that we've decided to run that for a little bit longer. Um, if you're interested in in, in training with the flow research collective or learning more about our classes and the work we do, um, one-stop shopping is an, excuse me for the cheesy URL, but (laughs) get more flow.com. Um, it was, well, it people remember. And like, I was, we tried all the other ones. Nobody can remember it because it got complicated. Getmoreflow.com go there. You can sign up for a free hour long coaching call with a a member of my staff. They'll tell you about our trainings, but really they're just going to break down your life and figure out where you are and how you can get more flow. Um, And, and they'll talk about our trainings and we have um, we have both our standard flow training. And then we have our, our forever danger, which is called zero to dangerous. And then we have forever dangerous with our peak performance aging training. Because they fold one folds into the other. Um, that's there. Flow Research Collective is the name of the organization. Stephencaller.com is all
1: things me. And uh, I think that's it. Awesome. <laughs> Stephen, thank you. We're gonna put all of the links in the show notes. getmoreflow.com, moreflow.com, narcountry.com. And yeah, yesterday, folks, I was checking out uh, the com website. And like seriously, uh, the the value of the bonuses that I saw. That were, like Stephen was giving away course upon course upon course yeah, they're, upon they're course. Cool. Upon. It was, was really amazing. So check out the book, check out the website, check out Stephen's work. Stephen, once again, thank you so much, everyone.
2: Hey, it's Joshua with the production team. Now your time is priceless and in terms of dollars and cents, it's valuable. Whether you're an entrepreneur, executive or a manager, you're paid well. But when you're short on time, you end up in a tailspin. Now, if you want to get more out of less time, just go to getmoreflow.com. We'll show you how. Because you know that when you manage your time well, you can move mountains. But your time is like sand, slipping between your fingers. Your to-do list grows, but time doesn't slow. You'd think that with less time, you'd work harder or smarter. But a scarcity of seconds makes you prone to procrastinate, which makes things worse. But you can end this time trouble right now. Here's how. Make more out of less through flow. You don't actually need more time. You already have enough. What it takes is switching to a higher gear of performance to get more out of that time. Now here at the Flow Research Collective, we study the human nervous system when it's functioning at its absolute best. There's a peak state you can tap into with reliability. It's called flow, or being in the zone. It's an optimal state of consciousness where you feel your best and perform your best. And in it, time seems to slow down. Now if you want to access flow consistently and reliably, just go to getmoreflow.com. Our protocols come from research out of Harvard, DARPA, and Stanford, and others. Our founder, Stephen Kotler's work, has been praised by the likes of Elon Musk, Bill Clinton, and Vishen Lakhiani. We draw from over 25 years of flow science to train a wide range of peak performers, from Navy SEALs to Fortune 100 executives. Because our training is grounded in neurobiology, it works for everyone. So if you're interested, just go to getmoreflow.com for all the details. That's getmoreflow.com. All the best.
1: If what you've heard on Flow Research Collective
0: Radio has been helpful... Please consider doing us a solid and leaving us a review on Apple, Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this. Reviews help us
2: connect to a wider audience so we can get these peak performance principles out to more people.